Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. It is good to be gathered together here at our Tyson's location. For those of you at our other locations and watching online, it's good to be gathered together uh, under God's word today. Uh, I know you're a little bewildered. You, you, uh, yes, this is McLean Bible Church. You are not in the wrong place. You have not tuned in to the wrong broadcast. Uh, my name is Mike Kelsey, one of the pastors here in our church, and I am wearing a suit. Thank you. This is my uh, Mother's Day gift to my wife. Um, she says that I've, I've been letting myself go. So try to step it up today. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, not about her saying I'm letting myself go, but I'm joking about this being her Mother's Day gift. We all know this would not be a sufficient. Can you like imagine if she woke up this morning and was like, what's my gift? And I was like, would not, that would not be sufficient. Um, but uh, last year, David wore a suit on Mother's Day, and I didn't want to be the one to break the streak. And so here you go. And some of y'all, y'all are new to this. Y'all are new to McLean Bible Church. You don't know that just a few years ago, every pastor that stood in this pulpit to preach was wearing a suit. And uh, so praise God for freedom from the law. Um, uh, I'm hoping that the passage we're studying today uh, will be an encouragement to all of us. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. So if you brought a Bible uh, with you uh, or you got a Bible wherever you are, turn to Matthew 11. If you don't, we'll have the verses on the screen uh, for you to be able uh, to, to follow. I'm hoping what God has to say to us in Matthew 11 is an encouragement to all of us. But what drove me to this particular passage was me just taking a moment this week to think about and pray for mothers. Obviously, today is Mother's Day. Shout out, happy Mother's Day to all y'all mothers out there, but especially uh, to my mother, uh, who I know is watching, and the mother who lives in my home, uh, my wife, Ashley. Um, I thought about this passage because moms are struggling. Like, mothers are struggling. And you may have seen this in uh, the news uh, if you Google mothers right now, I don't know why you would. I did in preparation for this sermon. But if you Google mothers, it just immediately pops up. Headline after headline after headline talking about how challenging this season has been uh, for all of us, but particularly for mothers in the midst of a global pandemic. The New York Times did an entire series on this issue. And there are several articles within this series. I just want to read you a couple of the headlines uh, one of the titles of, uh, of this the article, and it sh shouldn't laugh at it, but it, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, the, the title of the article is The Primal Scream. And the subtitle is Mothers Are in Crisis. And the reason why they called it The Primal Scream is because this particular article was written on the basis of messages that they received. So the New York Times, and some of you may have seen this or heard this, you can listen to this online. They opened up a phone line just for mothers to call in and leave a voicemail and just scream. They needed just some type of outlet, and so they just called this voicemail, and they just go crazy. They just scream whatever's in their heart uh, to scream because they just need release. And on there, they're venting, they're yelling, they're talking about all the challenges and the pains, and, uh, and they wrote an article just summarizing the, the challenges, this primal scream that's coming from mothers all across our country. One of the other articles was titled, How Society Has Turned Its Back on Mothers. 
The subtitle says, this isn't about burnout, it's about betrayal. And the article is basically about how so many women, so many mothers don't just feel burnt out, but they feel betrayed, not just by people around them, but by society in general. And they feel betrayed in a pretty specific way. So they interviewed this one psychiatrist who said, it's not uncommon for my patients, talking about moms, for my patients to say things like, I should be doing more. So so the whole article is about the responsibilities of motherhood, but then the increased challenges and responsibilities of motherhood in a pandemic. So so moms, the reason why this series of articles is talking about the extra burden on mothers is because so many women bear the primary responsibility of caregiver in the home with their children. So if you're a stay-at-home mom and your kids are now home from school virtually and you're trying to play, you know, homeschooler and, and juggle everything else in the house or your child is in school one week on and one week off is just tough. And then especially for working mothers, trying to juggle these different responsibilities. And so the, the psychiatrist said that so many women, mothers feel betrayed and said it's one way when, when a mother say I should be doing more. Listen, it said it's one way that women have internalized a culture that demands they bear the brunt of caregiving while simultaneously devaluing the job. That's where the sense of betrayal comes from. That society, or this is just society in general, we're not even talking about church culture yet, but but there's these demands to be the primary caregiver while at the same time society devalues the role of caregiver. And so, so many mothers just feel isolated and abandoned and devalued and overlooked. And at the same time, under the weight of those expectations and responsibilities. And so those are just the responsibilities of motherhood and and the expectations that are heaped on top of that. On top of all of that, moms struggle with what my wife calls the religion of modern motherhood. Now, she's sharing this with me, and I'm like, babe, you got... You got to write this down. You got to text this to me. You got to something. I need to read this verbatim. And so this is literally what she sent me. This is what she calls the religion of modern motherhood. Your kids should be eating organic food. You should definitely be making your own baby food. Can't feed the McDonald's. What kind of mother are you? They should be getting an amazing education that you supplement on the evenings and weekends with family field trips and weekly library visits. They should have limited screen time, but when they do, they should have their own tablet. They should co-sleep with you. Or no, they shouldn't. Whichever you do is probably wrong and gonna give them some sort of adult trauma. They should be in multiple extracurricular activities and make sure they're getting adequate rest. You should be taking them on trips to Disney or to yurts in the desert or preferably both. You should teach them, I don't even know what a yurt is. You should teach them minimalism because it's better for the environment, but make sure they still have the latest toys and gadgets. Their clothing should be made of organic cotton and you should definitely be using all natural detergents on them. You should also be working out and taking care of yourself so that you can be the best mom ever. This is the religion of modern motherhood. These unreasonable, burdensome expectations that so many mothers in our society and in our church family and in your family often carry. Mothers are feeling overwhelmed. But it's not just mothers. All of us 
in some way, shape or form have felt or are feeling overwhelmed in this season of our country and this season of our lives. I'm thinking about teenagers and and kids who are trying to juggle all the responsibilities of school and keeping up with homework and assignments virtually. And are we using Canva or are we using Google Drive? Are we using, I can't keep up with it all. Teenagers who are are wrestling with, with where to go to college and getting acceptance letters or comparing where this person is going to school versus that person is going to school and the expectation of their parents to go do this when they feel called and wired to do that. Trying to juggle all of these expectations and responsibilities. Work. I mean, for those of us here in the DC metro area, we work more hours than most people do all over the country. It's well documented. And we're trying to balance all the work demands with also being a good friend and and getting another degree and trying to do all of that and keep our peace of mind. Others of us, we feel overwhelmed because of the guilt and the shame of our sin. It's stuff that we're struggling with right now or things that we've done in the past and we are under the weight. We are overwhelmed with the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment and humiliation and regret that we feel. And men, we often feel overwhelmed. The only difference between us and a lot of women is that we just don't want to talk about it. Because in our culture, admitting weakness and anxiety and feelings of inadequacy is seen to be less masculine. And so every single one of us here, listening, watching, all of us know what it feels like, no matter what age you are, what gender you are, what situation or season you're in, we all know what it feels like to be overwhelmed. And I love this description in Psalm 55. Just listen to this and tell me if you've ever felt like this before. The psalmist says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, if it wasn't a pandemic, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. The psalmist says, if only I could just get away. It's so overwhelming If only I could just get away. If I had wings, I would just fly away. Some of us have felt like that. Some of us feel like that now. And me just naming it brings tears to your eyes right now. Because you feel like you're drowning. You feel absolutely and maybe even hopelessly overwhelmed. And Jesus understands this. He understands what it feels like to have this pressure on you. He knows what it feels like to be in overwhelming situations with overwhelming demands. You think, as you read through the Gospels, think about how often it talks about how the crowds pressed in on him, how the crowds were constantly demanding his ministry and demanding his attention to the point where it it says in multiple Gospel accounts that, that, that whole cities were bringing all of their sick and demon-possessed to him in the middle of the night. Have you ever felt like you can't escape the demands? Like they're continuing to send text messages. They're continuing to send emails. Even in the bathroom, they are waiting outside the bathroom, sticking stuff under the door. Or is that just me? Sorry, that's a little vent moment. We know what it feels like to have these constant demands on us at all times. And Jesus knows what it feels like to be under, overwhelmed in trying to think through how he's going to accomplish the will of God. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And he knows that he's getting ready to go and be crucified, which is what he came to do. This is what he signed up for. And it says that he's in the garden and he's praying and he's sweating drops of blood. And y'all, that's not figurative. This is not, this is not fiction. That's not just a literary device. That's actually a medical condition that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. It's very rare, but it happens when a person's body becomes overwhelmed by extreme fear or stress. And it, listen, it causes the capillaries, little blood vessels near your, your sweat glands to rupture so that blood mixes with your sweat. Jesus is so overwhelmed physically in his body as he thinks about what he's getting ready to experience on the cross, as he thinks about being separated from God the Father and the pain and the anguish that he's getting ready to endure, that his body is literally freaking out. His body is overwhelmed by the stress of it all. Jesus in his humanity understands what it is to be overwhelmed. And this is the Jesus who looks at you and looks at me and he says this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, heavily burdened. Another translation is overwhelmed. All who are labor are weary and overwhelmed, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word to us in the midst of feeling overwhelmed. Jesus promises to give us rest for our souls if and when we come to him. And the first question that comes to my mind when I read this passage is what does that mean? What does does rest for my soul mean? What is this soul rest? Well, I think the rest that Jesus offers is is comprehensive, is multifaceted. First, I think he's promising eternal rest. This is the rest we experience after life in in this fallen world is over. And we get to spend eternity with God if we've put our trust in Jesus in unbroken, untainted, uninhibited joy and peace. This is the rest, listen, that some of our mothers and grandmothers and other loved ones are experiencing right now. Because I know on a day like today, some of us carry the grief of missing our moms and our grandmothers even right now as we're sitting here. This is the rest for those who put their trust, that they trusted in Jesus on earth. They walked with Jesus and now they're getting to experience this eternal rest that Jesus brings This is the rest that Jesus will permanently install on earth when he comes back to judge sin and Satan. And for those who have put their trust in him, he will permanently remove everything that tempts us and troubles us. He will remove all of it from our bodies and from all of his creation. No more sin. No more battling temptation. No more suffering. No more struggling, no more nagging skepticism and trying to hold on to our faith. Just perfect peace in a perfect world in the presence of a perfect God. But that's not the world that we live in today. 
We still live in a fallen world where we experience all kinds of temptations and trials that put strain and stress on our souls. And so ultimately, Jesus promises eternal rest. But in the meantime, Jesus also promises to give us internal rest as we trust and depend on him. And this internal rest is a rest where our souls become dominated by God's presence rather than our problems. I love how Oswald Chambers, old theologian, describes it. He says, Jesus says, I will give you rest, i.e., I will sustain you with strength. And listen to what Oswald Chambers says. He says, not I will put you to bed and hold your hand and sing you to sleep, but I will get you out of bed, out of the languor and exhaustion, out of the state of being half dead while you are alive. I will imbue you with the spirit of life and you will be sustained by the perfection of vital activity. This, listen, this isn't some naive idea of rest where we can just escape all the challenges and responsibilities of life, but this rest is real and effective and powerful. And so the question I want us to think about is how does Jesus give us rest for our souls? Because it's a nice coffee mug verse. But, but how does he actually give me rest for my soul when I'm overwhelmed, when I'm under the weight of life's demands, when I'm under the weight of the guilt and shame of my sin? How does he do it? Well, on one level, it's, it's, sometimes it's not even that profound. I've mentioned this to you before. I mentioned to you a time when my wife was struggling with postpartum depression, and one day she was completely overwhelmed. And uh, I was like, man, I, I was struggling. I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, should we fast and pray? I'm like, should we, should we listen to James Earl Jones read us the Bible on audio? Like, what should we be doing right now? I didn't know exactly how to help her out. And you know what? Her dad just came over and just took her to Starbucks to get some coffee and go for a walk. And, y'all, she came back like a completely new person. She just needed a break, at least for that day. It didn't fix postpartum yet. She just needed a break that day. She needed to get out the house. She needed some fresh air and some sunshine. She needed to take a break from the demands of the little tyrant that was always screaming in her face. And that tyrant is not me. <laughs> and listen, oftentimes in church, we underestimate the relationship between our soul and our body. But sometimes caring for our bodies can help uplift our souls. And we see this throughout the Bible as God physically cares for his people. I think about Elijah in 1 Kings 19 when he was alone and depressed in the wilderness. And God sends an angel to bring him some food and some water. The angel doesn't even give any encouraging words. The angel just comes and says, arise and eat. Think about Psalm 23, how the Lord our shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters and restores our soul. I think about Mark chapter 6, verse 31, where it says that because so many people were coming and going, it says Jesus' disciples didn't even have a chance to eat. And so Jesus says to them in Mark 6, 31, come away by yourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Sometimes we need physical relief 
from the pressures and pains of life. And I stress all of that because sometimes we reduce Christianity down to spirituality as if God is not the creator and sustainer of his creation, including our bodies. But the rest that Jesus is offering specifically here in Matthew 11 goes deeper than that. He's diagnosing a deeper problem, a deeper restlessness, a deeper heaviness. And it's this deeper problem that drives so many of us to things that we know are unhealthy and dishonoring to God. Because we desperately want relief. At the end of a day or in the midst of a difficult season, we want relief, whether it's in a bottle or a blunt or another person's body. We will go after unhealthy things that are dishonoring to God because we're desperately desiring to just get relief. We're looking for rest for our souls. And Jesus doesn't just offer relief. He offers rest. This deeper rest for our souls that only comes when his voice cuts through all the other voices and penetrates our hearts. It's a rest that only comes from listening to and trusting and internalizing the truth of the gospel. And that's what we see here in Matthew 11. We see Jesus essentially proclaiming the gospel to people who are weary and overwhelmed. And just briefly, listen, we see that Jesus gives us rest for our souls in just two ways. Listen, two ways. Number one, Jesus frees us from the pressure to be perfect. He frees us from the pressure that we feel to be perfect. Jesus is speaking here to Jews in the first century, first century Galilee. And so let me give you a little bit of the context so you understand why they're so weary and overwhelmed. So just rewind for a moment to the Old Testament. And even if you're new and not that, not that familiar from the Bible, even kids, you, we've all heard at least the story, right, of, of, of God's people in slavery in Egypt. And God sends Moses to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh does it, but doesn't, but does it again, doesn't, and chases them. And it's the whole situation. And then they get to the Red Sea, and God opens the Red Sea. And all the people walk across the Red Sea on dry land. They're on the other side. And what happens is after God delivers them, out of Egyptian slavery, God makes them a nation. He makes them a nation of people who would live in covenant relationship with him. And so he gave them the Mosaic law, which was a sort of covenant constitution that showed them how to live in relationship with and under his loving authority, how to live as citizens in the kingdom of God. But listen, God knew that because of sin, they would never be able to perfectly live it out. And so ultimately, the Mosaic law wasn't just given as a set of rules. And you got to understand this as you read your Bible and understand how it all fits together. The Mosaic law wasn't just given as a set of rules. One of the most important functions of the law was to expose the fact that none of us is capable of perfectly measuring up to God's standards. The, the law didn't just reveal the will of God. It was like a mirror also revealing our sinfulness and our inadequacy. Like we can't live up to God's perfect standards, and God knew that. So the law wasn't just a list of rules because that would give no hope. It was designed to show people that they constantly need God's mercy and grace. 
It was designed to teach them that they needed something outside of their own personal attempts at righteousness in order to satisfy God's standards. That's what the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament was about. It was about God in his mercy and grace providing a way for people to be forgiven even though they fall short of the glory of God and all of his standards. The law was like a big flashing sign saying you need God's grace in order to be acceptable to God. But by the time Jesus came, so flip over now to the New Testament, by the time Jesus comes in the first century, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, were not only imposing the Mosaic law, but they had also added over 600 additional laws and uh, regulations that you had to abide by in order to be acceptable, to maintain acceptable status in the Jewish community. And that's why in Matthew 23, verse 4, Jesus says, Describing the Pharisees, he says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. And so the people lived under constant pressure and intense scrutiny. And you see this in the way the scribes and Pharisees interacted with Jesus. So you look further down in Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus and his disciples are walking through some grain fields, and the disciples are hungry. And if you're hungry walking through a grain field, what do you do? You snack on some grain. So they start plucking some grain, and enjoy. they're enjoying just the provision and goodness of God on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees criticized them because they saw picking grain as working. It was a complete distortion of what God intended the Sabbath to be. Later on in Matthew 12, they criticized Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath. Why? Because doctors weren't allowed to heal on the Sabbath because that was work. And so when Jesus sees this man with a withered hand and Jesus is getting ready to heal him, they criticize and oppose Jesus. They had no compassion for hungry and hurting people, and they weighed them down with all these unreasonable and burdensome expectations. And so you can imagine how this was affecting their soul. They were constantly aware of their failure and inadequacy. They were probably filled with anxiety, always worried about what people thought about them, wondering whether or not God was pleased with them. They were burnt out and overwhelmed, trying to keep up with all these expectations. And rather than experiencing God's grace in the midst of their imperfection, they were chronically weighed down with guilt. Or maybe they had just gotten to the point where they were numb. They were just trudging through life, unable to feel gratitude for God's blessings because life just felt like one big burden. Listen, have you ever felt that way? Like you can't keep up or measure up no matter how hard you try. And Jesus stoops down to people who are under the burden of their sin and imperfection, who are weighed down by expectations that they just can't meet. He stoops down to them and he says, come to me. Come out from under the burden and the weight that is being imposed on you. Come out of that and come to me. And when he says that, he's saying, listen to me and trust what I say. That's what come to me means. He's saying, listen to me and trust what I say. 
trust what I say over what they say. They say your worth depends on your work. They say you earn acceptance through your performance. They say you can only experience rest for your soul when you've dotted every I and crossed every T. But Jesus says, but come to me. I want you to look at me, listen to me, receive my invitation and come under my loving authority, my leadership in your life. Why? Because look at verse 29. Jesus says, because I am gentle and lowly of heart. And this is absolutely Astounding when you study this in context of Matthew chapter 11 because Jesus has just finished preaching the fact that he has all authority. He's been given all authority. He just has finished pronouncing his judgment on whole cities of people who rejected his miraculous works and rejected his deity and the gospel. He announces his judgment with his authority. And he says, all authority has been given to me. I am the only one who can reveal the truth of salvation to you in a way that resonates with your heart. I am the only one who has the sovereign discretion to give you forgiveness of sin and access to a relationship with God. He says, I have all authority. And where the Pharisees use their authority to weigh people down, Jesus uses his authority to lift people up. And he says, come to me. And listen, y'all, this isn't sentimental. This isn't just sentimental. This is deeply theological. Because we need more than just encouragement in our imperfection. We need a solution. Because none of us are able to perfectly measure up to God's standards. All of us break God's laws, and because of that, all of us deserve God's punishment. And listen to me, if you're considering following Jesus, you're exploring the, exploring the claims of the gospel and of the Bible, listen to me. None of us is able to meet God's standards no matter how hard we try. We will always fall short. We've broken God's laws. We deserve his punishment, and this is why Jesus came. This is why he died. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sins. We have this accruing debt with God because of our sin and our rejection of the gospel. And that debt comes due when we stand before God as our judge. And it's not just that we're on empty It's that we're constantly overdrafting with every single breath, every decision. Every effort of righteousness that falls short, we're not just at zero. We are at negative infinity before God. And Jesus, when he dies on the cross with his blood, he pays the debt that we owe. He becomes the substitutionary sacrifice, dying on the cross in our place for our sins so that the debt we owe now has been wiped clean. Jesus brings our balance to zero so that we don't owe God anything else. And that in and of itself will be enough that Jesus will forgive us of our sins, but he does more than that. He does more than that because he didn't just die. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. He perfectly fulfilled the demands of the law. And when he rose again and gives us his spirit, not only does he give us forgiveness as we put our trust in him, bringing our account to zero, but now he begins to pour into our account, compounding interest on his righteousness so that we get to enjoy the privileges 
of meeting the perfect standards of God. This is what Jesus does in our place. Yes, you can give God a hallelujah, an amen, a hand clap if you've experienced this. Because listen to me, this is not just sentimental, this is theological. Jesus didn't just, doesn't just encourage us in our imperfection and in our sin, he does something about it. He died in our place and lived in our place and rose from the grave. And when he says, come to me, that invitation is one that is backed with authority. Jesus is the only one that can free us from the pressure of being perfect. And some of you would say, well, I know I don't expect to be perfect, but then why do you feel so ashamed then when your imperfection is exposed? Why are you driven to such despair when you come face to face with your own weakness and inadequacy and realize that you can't juggle it all? It's because we've all been cursed with the lie of the enemy that we have to be perfect in order to be perfectly loved and accepted. And that is just not true in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, some of you have so much regret because of things you did in the past. All of us have this. Mom, some of you have this. Some of you grandmothers have this. You have so much regret. You feel so much shame because of the mistakes that you made. And it's this pressure that you should have been perfect, that you should have gotten it all together. Who told you that it was not God? God says you cannot be perfect. I knew that when I called you. I knew that when I sent Jesus and I sent him so that you could be relieved of the pressure to be perfect. Some of you feel judged and incomplete because you're not moms. Desperately desire to be. You want to be. But you feel judged because of your own personal Desires, and you, you, feel, you feel judged because of other people's expectations of what you should be and where you should be by now. And Jesus says, come to me. You don't have to have the perfect life as defined by your desires or anybody else. He says, I've come to free you from the pressure to be perfect or the pressure to have or maintain this perfect life. Listen, your position in Christ is dependent on his perfection and not yours. And that is how we're able to rest and have rest for our souls. But Jesus doesn't just free us from the pressure to be perfect. He then, number two, fills us with the power to be faithful. This is why I say this is not just sentimental. It's deeply theological because he doesn't just give us a pep talk and encouragement. Jesus is not just our cheerleader. He's not just looking at us in our weakness and imperfection and sin and saying, don't worry about it. You don't have to be perfect. No, he forgives us. He accepts us. But then he fills us with the power to do that which is pleasing to God, to be faithful. So listen to it in the words of Jesus in verse 29, Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now listen, some of you, some of you know that a yoke is it's, it's a, it's farming equipment. It's this big wooden bar that had these grooves that would go over the neck of two oxen. 
So they would put these two oxen together so that they would share the load, the burden of plowing the field. But often what they would do is they would take a less experienced ox or a weaker ox and pair them with a more experienced or stronger ox so that not only could the weaker, less experienced ox learn how, what, how to plow the field, but also so that they wouldn't have to bear that full weight. There was a stronger ox that was taking most of the weight, carrying most of the burden as they were able to participate in this work. And so this is this picture, right, of, of, of us in partnership, in u- unity with Jesus, being united with Christ. But in this context, by, by now in the first century uh, in Judaism, the yoke was, it was, it was a technical term that rabbis used to describe their body of teaching, to describe the collection of their interpretations of the law. So, so a rabbi would say, like we would say, like follow my curriculum, a rabbi would say, take my yoke upon you. In other words, these, this is my teaching. This is, this is my interpretation of the law. This is my wisdom for how you're supposed to live your life. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, what he's saying is, I am revealing my wisdom, my will to you in the gospel and in the whole counsel of God. And he's saying, rather than you listening to and trusting what they say, whoever they is or they are, He's saying, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to what I say, to my teaching, to what I've already proclaimed and announced in the truth of the gospel. And I want you to take that and internalize that and make that your own. Jesus is saying, I will teach you. He's saying, I know you're overwhelmed. I'm saying that I'm not just going to teach you, and this is the good news. He's saying I'm not just going to teach you because if I just taught you, that would still leave you under a heavy weight because you cannot carry this on your own. He's saying I'm not just going to teach you. He says, but I'm also going to empower you in order to be able to do it. What you could not do apart from me, I will enable you to do as you are in relationship with me. And some of you feel like you're in this season of being overwhelmed and you just feel like, man, there's no, I don't even know how to really follow Jesus in this season. Like y'all keep talking about waking up early to do devotions. I've been up all night carrying a human who is feeding on me. I, have, I work 70 hours a week, and then I'm in night school. How could I possibly do all the things that you're asking me to do right now? You feel overwhelmed, and you feel like there's no way for me to fully follow Jesus right now in this season. There's no way for me to do everything that I'm supposed to be doing. And Jesus says to you and me, he says, I will teach you, and I will empower you. And this is why, if you've ever wondered how Jesus could say my yoke is easy and my burden is light, this is how. I mean, this is the same Jesus that, that says, you, in order to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. This is the same Jesus that says, you will face tribulation. How could he say following him is easy and light? Well, here's how. Because Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to get in the yoke with you. Jesus says, I'm inviting you to get in the yoke with me. He's saying, I'm going to live my life of righteousness through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will depend on me in order to live in obedience and to live a faithful life. 
It's the gift that Jesus gives us by his spirit that he empowers us from the inside out. And listen, he not only empowers us, but he transforms us. See, Jesus doesn't just teach, y'all. He doesn't just teach, he transforms. So much so that what used to seem burdensome to us, a faithfulness to God according to his word that used to look overwhelming to us and undesirable to us, now it becomes our delight. It becomes the joy of our life to be faithful to the God who saved us, to be faithful to the God who is sustaining us. And listen, I use that word faithful for a reason. That Jesus fills us with power in order to be faithful, 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 meaning that we do what he has called us to do. And some of y'all are carrying the weight of expectations that God never put on you. Some of you are under somebody else's yoke that is not the yoke of Jesus. It's the yoke of your parents. It's the yoke of your kids. It's the yoke of your boss. It's the yoke of Instagram. It's the yoke of this culture. It's this yoke, this burdensome expectation that you have to be perfect, that you have to have it all figured out, that you have to have strength in and of yourself to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and tighten it up and get it done. And that is not the yoke of Jesus. Jesus says, I will empower you to be faithful. I'm not going to empower you to live out the Christian life like everybody else does because they're different from you and in a different season than you. And you might not be able to follow Jesus in the exact same way that you did in a previous season or you will be in a future season. But Jesus says, I will empower you to be faithful in the season I have you in right now. I will give you enough grace. I will give you enough strength. I will give you enough joy to do what I've called you to do today. And as you walk with me, I will empower you to do what I call you to do tomorrow. And so Jesus gives us rest. He gives us rest for our souls because he frees us from the pressure to be perfect. We find freedom in our imperfection and weakness being exposed before a holy God because it's been covered by the blood of Jesus. We are sons. We are daughters. We are accepted by God. And so we take the acceptance and approval of others with a grain of salt. We're free from the pressure of being perfect. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't cause us to be complacent because Jesus then brings rest to our souls by filling us with the power to be faithful. And as we follow him, he will give us wisdom and discernment to know what that looks like. To say, this is not something I've put on your shoulders and on your plate. Somebody else did. You need to take this off your plate for this season. Jesus gives us freedom to just be okay being faithful. It's okay to just be faithful. It's okay to just do the little things that God has called you to do. You don't have to measure up to what everybody says they're doing. You can just be faithful in your conscience to God and find rest for your soul. And so listen, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for two groups of people first group of people I want to pray for is those of you who are followers of Jesus and you feel overwhelmed, you feel weighed down. You feel this pressure to be perfect. You feel 
this weakness and inadequacy to do what God has called you to do. And golly, man, the gospel is like, like kids, you'll like this. It's, it's like scuba gear. Like when you're in the depths of your own inadequacy and sinfulness and depravity, the gospel gives you the ability to take deep, rejuvenating breaths, to find rest for your lungs and your soul because you are listening to the truth and the words and the promises of Jesus and you realize what he says about me is true. What he says about himself is true. I can rest. And I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will minister his rest to your soul. And I want to pray for another group of you who are here or watching from wherever you're watching from. And you would say, I don't even have a true relationship with Jesus yet. I don't need, I, I'm not even experienced any of what you're talking about. Like, I need my sin to be forgiven. I need my conscience to be made clean. I need the guilt and the shame of my sin to be lifted off of me. I want to be in a relationship with God. And I know I can't earn it on my own. Gosh, today is... And it can be like the first day of the rest of your life where you experience the saving and sustaining grace of God, where he forgives you and he transforms you and he walks with you. And he gives you not just internal rest, but he gives you the joy and hope of this eternal rest. And so even as I pray, you can just pray. Just from the sincerity of your heart to God, if that's you and you want to put your trust in Jesus, even as I'm praying, you can just say to God, God, I, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want a relationship. And I'm putting all my trust in you, Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, I pray. I pray for men and women. I pray for boys and for girls who are listening and watching this or here in the room or will listen to this or watch it. God, I pray. I pray for those, God, who are under the weight of condemnation that they deserve, that I deserve, God, because of their sin, because of their disobedience to you. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would persuade them in their hearts that they cannot get from under that weight by their own good efforts and that you are not just going to give them a pass. But God, I pray that they would look to Jesus and that they would put all of their hope and all of their trust and all of their weight on what Jesus did for them on the cross and in his resurrection. And God, I pray that even now as they express the sincere faith and trust of their heart, God, I pray that you would save them. Oh, God, I pray, I pray that you would relieve them, that you would give them deep rest now and forever, God, and that you would change and transform them and walk with them. And God, I pray, I pray for brothers and sisters who are in Christ, who are feeling weighed down and overwhelmed. God, I pray that we would believe you, that we would trust you, that we would listen to you above the voices that are so loud in our hearts, condemning us and shaming us, above the voices that are all around us, that are constantly heaping demands and expectations on us. God, I pray that we, by your spirit right now, would hear your voice to us saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Please, God, would you give us rest? We pray all of this. We trust you. We rely on you through the name and the work of Jesus.